The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Know the show. You're listening to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I am in Phoenix, living like it matters. And of course, what matters to me, particularly this week, is we're preparing to go down to have our live broadcast from the Player Networking Event, the 13th Annual Player Networking Event at the Super Bowl, of course, in New Orleans, where, of course, the Ravens and the 49ers are getting ready to play a football game. But what I and preparing for something that's a little, well, it's just as equally important to me as a football game. And that is the fact that players are also trying to get themselves ready, whether they're current or former players. They're preparing. Sometimes they're rebranding themselves. But there's something called transition that must take place with every athlete at some point in time in their lives. And I myself, as a former athlete, am always doing the best I can to advocate. And and whenever there's an opportunity, I can assist with anybody who's been an athlete at some point in time in their lives. I want to make sure that I do that. This is also a very important time of my life. Each time, each year, I decided that I was going to do as I was going to pay tribute. In particular, it all started off with with one of my good, dear friends. That was Dave Dorson. Uh, The story, as you all may know or may not know, is Dave a paternity brother of mine, a great football player for the Chicago Bears. He's also a great man of God. Uh, he was a man who had a show here with us on the Voice America Sports Channel. And I, I was responsible. I was Dave's executive producer. And it was one day that I came into the studios and I was listening to Dave's show. And it appeared to me that that show was a show that I had heard before. And Dave was the type of individual, particularly when it came to handling his business. Uh, Dave always handled his business to the best of his ability. One thing he would always do for me, uh, he would be held accountable for his show. He would be here on time, on the air, uh, or either he would call in advance to let me know that he wasn't going to be able to make the show. Well, one day on that cold winter day in Chicago on a Thursday at 12 noon, uh, as I was listening to that show, I went into the studios to ask the engineers if it was a live show. And they said it was live, but it was a repeat. It was a time slot of which Dave should be there, and he wasn't there to do the show. So they decided to put a replay on. And I asked that he call in, and they said no. Uh, I immediately became alarmed. That was not the Dave Dorson that I knew. Uh, but I didn't do anything. I didn't panic. I just said, okay, I'm sure that I'll hear, as I call him, Fred. I'll hear from Fred later on. I'm sure he'll send me a text. Uh, but I 
thought, well, why don't I just do this? Why don't I just call him? And I called him. And when I called him, his phone, you all know how a cell phone works. When it goes through the process of continuing throughout the process of a ring, that means that the person just didn't answer. If it was a voicemail, it would go directly to voicemail. That surprised me when his went through the whole cycle of ring, of ringing. So then what I did is I sent him a text. I sent him a text, and, and I simply said to him, Frat, you know, I'm just checking in with you. Uh, normally, if you're going to have a replay, you would, you know, give me a call or send me a text. Haven't heard anything uh, from you. Uh, I hope everything's okay. It's that last line there that I want all you to stop and think about. There are people in your lives that sometimes when things happen, you're okay. There are other times when things just don't seem right because you know that person too well. And that just doesn't seem like them. And that just didn't seem like Dave. But I went home, and as all you know who know me, Thursday night's pizza night. So I enjoyed pizza night with my family, came in the next morning. Although the night before that Thursday night, I thought, well, wow, Frat still didn't text me. Got back to my office, got a call from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, I didn't get a call. I got a text. Got a text from a friend in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, says, sorry to hear about Dave. Well, I didn't call the friend. I didn't call Dave. I didn't text or call anybody. I simply put in a search on Google for Dave Dorson. And lo and behold, it came up and it said, former Chicago Bear Dave Dorson found dead. Man, I've never been hit so hard without being hit physically in my life as I was that day. Almost the same way I was when I found out my good dear friend Andre Waters had taken his life. So it was because of that that I decided that, you know what, Dave and I had plans for what we were going to do here at Voice America, and we were going to build it to be one of the best sports channels in the world, because after all, it's global. It's not just local. And so I said, you know what, Dave, you're going to be with me every day that I do this job, every show that I have, and to keep you alive and to keep you part of this, I'm going to have a tribute to you every year. And if my good friend Gil Tyree, who was out there, who Dave introduced me to and does a show with us, the Positive Pub, Gil, call in and say hello if you have a moment. But this is a tribute. Dave, Andre, Andre Waters, of course, Junior Seau, Mike Webster, gone, but never forgotten. So I'm going to have a moment of silence, if you will, just to pay tribute to them. And then I'm going to come back with my good friend, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. Okay, God bless you, my friends up in heaven. I know you're enjoying yourself. It's a good day. You're listening to the show. So while you guys are up there in heaven, I want you to make sure that you maybe send me a little something if you want me to ask Dr. Grossinger a question. Because I know I'm still connected to my brothers up there in heaven, but I certainly want to say that these men love the game and they certainly gave their life to this game of football. And they certainly are gone too soon. But I want to talk to my good friend Dr. Grossinger because, Doc, as you know, whenever I need an expert, I turn to you. Dr. Grossinger, of course, does a show here on the Voice America Sports Network. And as Bruce, the sports doc, and uh, Doc himself is... Uh, Doing great work out in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I think there's also offices in Delaware, Doc. That's true. We're, uh, as we sit here today, we're in Wilmington, Delaware. Are we 
Am I coming through good on the show? For You're you coming right? through great, Doc. Sound good. Very good. Fantastic. Yeah, we have offices um, just outside of Philadelphia and in Wilmington, Delaware. And it's, uh, it's been my sincere pleasure to work with you through these years. And I'm really honored to be able to participate in the tribute to those fallen stars. Your good friend, Andre Waters, Dave Dorsett, Mike Webster, and most recently, Junior Sale. And I appreciate that, Doc. And just so everybody will understand, Doc, give them a little background in terms of as a board-certified neurologist, what, what is the kind of work that they can expect if one were to come into your office? Because we're going to talk about some dark things here as it relates to, to head trauma and brain trauma and concussions and even death. So uh, give them a little background on yourself there, Doc, and what you do on a daily basis as a neurologist. Sure. As a neurologist, I deal with people in my practice that have a variety of neurological problems. I particularly deal with traumatic injuries uh, to the brain and to the, the nerves, the neck and the back, as well as other sports injuries. So I'd say my practice is broken up between people that are injured uh, on the playing field, such as football and hockey players of all ages, down to the peewee football all the way up to, to pros, and I also deal with people who are injured at work. I, I started working at the Chrysler Assembly Plant, and I dealt with a lot of work injuries in an industrial place. And I've also dealt with uh, other injuries such as car accidents. And our practice, basically, we act as a quarterback of the team. People walk in my door. I try to order MRIs, X-rays. I send them for physical therapy. Sometimes I do injections. With concussion, we are affiliated with a company called Impact, that does the impact baseline testings. And essentially uh, what we do is we determine if there is a brain injury, a concussion, and we also try to identify what parts of the brain is injured and at times to recommend certain types of therapy and sometimes medicines such as neurotransmitter replacement. And I've worked closely with the National High School Coaches Association based here in Easton, Pennsylvania, and uh, – that's given me access to uh, hundreds of thousands of coaches. And so a lot of that information is disseminated across from uh, the national high school coaches. So essentially, I deal with sports injuries. I try to promote with you and through my show, Bruce the Sports Doc, uh, safety in sports. And it deals with a lot of the things. I know Steve Alec is with USA Sports. So basically trying to prevent injuries, working, to try, and, again, I don't do this personally, but to improve tackling, improve safety, improve the rules at all levels of football, and to interface with all these traumatic situations. Hey, Doc, so, so just so the audience out here, one thing we want to do is we want to educate. We want to provide information for those out there who perhaps maybe have a, a brother uh, or perhaps maybe might even have a son uh, or, or a husband, you know. And now there are even some girls that are playing football. Should they see you when it relates to perhaps maybe a head injury? Should they see a specialist, or should they go to a general practitioner? Well, humbly speaking, I believe that when people have a brain injury or a suspected brain injury, that is, whether they're knocked out on the field of play or they just get dinged, and they develop a host of symptoms, including dizziness, visual problems. I had two people today right in front of me in this office who just were foggy. And if you look at them, they, they look okay, but if you really dig deep and you give them a careful exam, they had problems with recent memory, processing, they had problems with the balance system. 
So nothing against the primary doctor, but I believe if somebody has a suspicion of a problem and if they're, you know, certainly here in the tri-state area, they could always, they could call me Dr. Bruce Grossinger, or if they're anywhere else in the country, in my view, they should see a neurologist, and that is uh, certainly something that my colleagues in the neurology field feel expert, and uh, even if it's a matter of reassuring somebody, you know, somebody's kid is a, a football player, they get knocked out, and they want to come in, and they, they just need, you know, examination and possibly reassurance or clearance. Uh, when they come to see me, they get an exam. They often get an impact test, and they at times will have imaging like an MRI or an EEG. And, yeah, I, I think I'm in a good position to deal with those kind of issues. And, Doc, obviously there are more people like you who specialize, uh, you know, in a certain uh, medicine field, uh, medical field, and across the country. And what I just want to be sure is that, that, that I articulate to people, particularly when it comes to a contact sport, that perhaps maybe is, is worth the time and perhaps maybe a, an additional expense uh, to see a specialist. But let me move, if I could, to, you know, what happens a lot of times, you know, on the football field and how early some of these things are happening. Because you always hear about the NFL where they're much bigger, much faster, much stronger, and, and, and they people relate that to that's the reason why there are concussions because the guys are so they're 200 plus pounds they're 300 plus pounds uh, they're running as, as fast as you know some slow cars and 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 they're making contact head-to-head contact uh do you have to be 200 300 pounds in order to be able to have head-to-head contact with each other and come away perhaps maybe with some damage to the head no regrettably there is, the size of the, of the athlete doesn't immunize them from a head injury or concussion. That is, we see concussions all the way down to from elementary school through, through high school, college, into the pros. So I think it's important to realize that, you know, when we, when we have little kids, we think they're made out of rubber and uh, they are at times more durable and their brains have more plasticity. The problem is when there's brain damage to a growing brain, that often can be more serious than a brain that's fully developed. So I think it's important to, to be wary and watchful at all ages, at all levels, and even in peewee football or even with certain weight limits like 120 pounds or less, that it has to do with physical forces. And the right physical force, the, enough uh, mass and acceleration can cause Injury, it could cause people to be knocked out, and therefore you don't have to be an NFL football player to sustain uh, concussions. And in fact, there's a fair, there's a spike with with young um, female soccer players. That's one area where, particularly with heading the ball, these are, are thin people. They're not big linebackers, but just the act of heading a, a low mass soccer ball is highly associated with concussions and brain injuries. So uh, I think it's important to be vigilant at all levels of athletes and, and at all different sizes. 
Okay, and uh, what I want to do, Doc, is I want to be sure that everybody listening to the show, listen, the purpose is, is to provide information. It's not to scare anybody away. I understand that I didn't hear it. I didn't read the comment myself, but I heard that President Obama kind of questioned if he had a son today, if he would let that individual play football. I believe that I've, I've read something where Tom Brady's dad had even questioned if he would have his son play football in your opinion, uh, Dr. Grosinger, can you continue to have a sport that is as physical as football and eliminate some of the risks uh, as it relates to head trauma? Yes, I, I'm not a proponent of abolishing football as a sport. And, and I don't share, and again, apropos to your comments about President Obama, just in the last day, comments by Strong Safety, Baltimore Raven Pollard, you might have read that. He yes. said in an interview that 20 years from now, he believes NFL football won't exist. There'll be so many rules, uh, there'll be so many restrictions that he believes that the fans will stop wanting to watch football and that the league will die on the vine. And I don't know if you heard that. Uh, Mr. Pollard uh, was instrumental in winning the game last week. He had one clean hit on um, – the running back Ridley for the Patriots, where it was a clean hit, he jarred the football loose, and that was a big turning point in the game. And he's in Pollard is he's he's had a few fines this year, and he's a he reminds me a little bit of Wes Hopkins and Andre Waters. He's a really he's a great hitter and fundamentally a legal hitter. But but I, I don't buy into that. So I don't buy into we should just abolish football. I believe that we need to we need to focus on many different areas. We need to focus on the equipment. We need to focus, continue to focus on the rules. We need to focus on teaching tackling. I believe Steve Alec, who will be on your show, will be talking about that with USA Sports, teaching the fundamentals. There's a, there's a strike zone. There's a strike zone, you know, below the neck and above the waist. And when the game is played properly, there are many ways to make it safer. But particularly at the pro level, in, in many sports, I don't think it'll be possible to entirely eliminate the possibility of injuries, but I think particularly in practice, as you know, the amount of hitting in practice in the NFL is diminished. We're trying to educate to diminish the amount of physical contact because if we look at it statistically, uh, most of the concussions actually occur in practice rather than in the games because there's so much more time spent on the practice field rehearsing the hitting. So. I believe that nothing is perfect. We don't need to abolish football entirely, but it, it, it certainly, ironically, Roger Goodell is certainly a lightning rod, you know, in the sense that another study came out just today. I believe 60% of NFL players disapprove of Roger Goodell's efforts. But on the other hand, uh, for instance, Ed Reed was talking about, you know, how President Obama is, is, is right about trying to make things safer. So I think – we're really in a gray area. And over the last five years, there's been amazing alteration in our view and understanding of concussions. So I believe we'll understand going forward with the scientific studies of what, you know, what patients will be predisposed to hit to actually quantitate the physics of how many blows it, it accumulate, just like when you're exposed to radiation. It's a cumulative thing when you have damage. We believe that, that concussions or many sub-concussive events are cumulative and we're all watching it very closely. So it's a long answer to a short question. The answer is, yes, I think there's still a lot more to learn. Yes, I think we're already on our way to making it safer. No, it'll be 
impossible to make it entirely safe. But no, but yes, I believe football should continue at all levels. I think it's a great learning experience. It, it, it really it helps build men and women, for that matter. And certain people's lives, such as yours, have been enriched by the experience of playing football. And, and Doc, I, I certainly agree with you. I, too, am one of those individuals that I believe the game needs to be safer and we should do everything we possibly can to make it safer. But it is not my goal or my desire for football to go away. And, I, and I'm, I'm one of those players that I feel a little different than other players because I'm, I'm also one of those guys I did. I tried to play the game as, as physically as I possibly could. And one thing that I will say is it was my equipment and, and the equipment that as I, uh, each time I would put it on, that I was assured by the equipment manager, and they'd even do their little test, they hit you on the shoulder, they may hit you on the head, uh, to make sure that that equipment felt comfortable and that you felt assured that you would go out there and you would do damage to the other individual, but you wouldn't do damage to yourself. And many times it's individuals that are actually on the end of, of actually the aggressor and they find themselves as a victim because, again, the head-to-head trauma could affect the tackler as well as the person being tackled. But I, let me move, if I will, in another direction, Doc, because recently there was a study that came out in particular, I think it's related to CTE. And, and CTE is what was found on the brains of these four individuals, our fallen heroes, of which we're talking and we're paying honor Today we're talking about that's Andre Waters, Mike Webster, Dave Dorson, and Junior Seau. They were all found to have had CTE. Some recent studies, I believe, that came out at a university out there at UCLA. Uh, I believe the finding is now, instead of waiting till a person has expired, there may be a way to test and find early signs of CTE. Does that mean that what early signs could possibly lead to a cure? Or does that mean, regardless, if, if you find it early, it's still a death sentence? Well, um, yes and no. Uh, let, me, let me pick up on the question. Firstly, uh, UCLA researchers, specifically Dr. Gary Small, who's the study's lead author, he's a professor of behavioral science at UCLA, they developed a patented method of studying the brain in life. And they basically used a biochemical marker, and they use an imaging study, which is called PET, P-E-T, which is a kind of metabolic way that you can see how the brain is working. And if you look at it, certainly if anybody Googles UCLA, you'll see, you'll see pictures. You'll see color photos of what a normal brain looks like, what uh, Alzheimer's brain looks like, and what CTE, which stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. This is exactly what we're talking about. This is a progressive disease that relates to what I believe and what many believe relate to cumulative concussion hits, head trauma in the NFL and other places. And in this very small study, I want to point out it's still preliminary. There are only five players who were identified in life to have the, the picture on this new test that was compatible with CTE. And interestingly, they identified somebody named Wayne Clark, who's a 64-year-old backup quarterback, they identified another gentleman, Mr. McNeil, who's a little older than us, a Vikings linebacker, and three others that they didn't identify. So it's interesting that Fred McNeil is a guy who has been diagnosed with dementia. So he's a guy who we believe has dementia of some sort, maybe CTE. And ironically, 
One of the guys, Wayne Clark, isn't very symptomatic. So uh, it, when he's interviewed, he said, I felt it would be important to, to study it. He said, I just have some age-related, like, you know, what somebody might think is mild memory problems, but nothing bad. So I guess the question is, is this valid? Do we know that this test is valid? We don't yet. It's too preliminary. In fact, it might be overly sensitive. And the one guy, Wade Clark, is fine. He's 64. He's involved in a lot of businesses. And, um, but, the, but the question is, will early detection possibly lead to a cure for CTA? We sure hope so. And there are certain studies that look at the pathology in CTA. There's a buildup of something called tau, T-A-U, which is a brown substance, a protein that embeds in the brain and strangles the brain cells. And we believe that to be responsible for the problems with the dementia, the behavioral problems, the psychiatric problems, the depression that ultimately led to the untimely deaths and, frankly, suicides of those you identified. Yeah, Doc, and you mentioned... You, you mentioned... You say out, you know? Yes, Doc, and you, you mentioned... Uh, I think it was the, the evidence of protein in the four brains that uh, of the gentleman that passed away, like you said, uh, who took their lives. Uh, that I believe that was something that was consistent in the reports that I read. So with that being said, let, let me just ask a question that, and I, again, I don't want to put you on the defense, but, but I'm going to put the profession on defense. And it, okay. it kind of reminds me a little bit when, when magic came out with AIDS. Everybody, well, not everybody, I can't speak in absolute terms, but a great majority of people, when you ever heard AIDS, you thought death. When we heard about these players you know, and, and brain trauma, brain damage, ongoing hits to their head, you know, it eventually would lead to, you know, damage that would find you in a position where you may have this, you know, excessive amount of protein in your brain. You, you may make irrational decisions, but ultimately you were going to die. That, that was what would happen with AIDS. That's what was, we thought would happen with this CTE. And then magically out of nowhere, it appears that there is some new research uh, for some reason or another, you know, things have sped up and, and, and we're close to perhaps maybe not a cure, but to reduce the amount of people that lose their lives as a result of this. Now, does it take something like that, that that's drastic, that somebody like a figure, uh, which is a hero to all of us, Magic Johnson, and then all these other heroes on the football side? I'm just curious as to if you could explain, and again, I don't want to put you on the defense, but just for the medical profession, why is it? It's accelerated when somebody like that, a figure like that, you know, a hero to us, is affected by these diseases. And when the, if you will, and no disrespect to the average person who takes a nine to five, it's not a sense of urgency. Why, why is that? So your question is, how did how did this how did this problem go so long? You know how? Yeah. How, guess, why was it in not? In other words, people play football. You know, from the 1900s. We're now over 100 years later. Why all of a sudden in the last five years are we beginning to recognize this? Um, I, I think it's a complicated question. And certainly we, we as a medical profession, we were slow on the, on, the, on the uptake. I also think there's politics in the mix in the sense that the NFL is a very powerful uh, agency. It's very organized and powerful. And for years, I believe the NFL – 
you know, hired and sanctioned doctors who were of the opinion to, to, to basically support the corporate needs of the NFL, and they basically buried a lot of this stuff, I believe. And some of the things they said were ludicrous, and I think it embarrassed the NFL to, to look upon it. They've, they've tried to distance themselves from these doctors, and so I think there, there was a perception that people just, you know, when you got knocked out, you, it was just a dinger. You were fine. There was no, there was no problems. And until very recently, the NFL had a position, and a strong position, that was diametrically opposed to those people in Boston, you know, the Chris Nowitzkis, the Bob Cantus, the Ed McKees, who are basically saying, you know, we sectioned 34 out of 35 brains, and they have CTE. So finally, the worm is turning in the last few years, and the NFL is instituting new rules. There is a class action suit. I have no doubt that at some point, the NFL, in my view, will settle with, with people in that suit because they can't hide it anymore. And as a doctor, uh, you know, we, as for the most part, have no interest in, in protecting the NFL. We just want to, you know, tr try to treat people uh, effectively. And again, some of this stuff, a lot of this predated Roger Goodell, and he has done much more than the other commissioners, but there's more work to be done. But if you're perplexed about it, it's, it is perplexing why hundreds of, you know, 100 years go by, and only in the last five years are we recognizing this problem. It is very perplexing. Well, Doc, I appreciate your honesty, and, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have someone on, on the air today with me. Well, again, if we're going to pay tribute to some men who love the game and gave their life for the game, if we're going to try to find some answers, we need to have people that are willing to share the right information from their perspective and, and they're legitimate in their profession. So, Doc, I appreciate you. Hold on. We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is with me. And Steve, I believe, is on hold. Guy is on hold. We're going to have a great show. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports so andy serling packed his bags left the city and is enjoying his temporary digs in saratoga but that won't stop us from bringing you playing to win the best online handicapping show for serious horse players catch andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of august on location from the beautiful saratoga race course he and his guests are some of the best in the biz they bring you new insights to making money and they tell it like it is i'm three five one in this race but the three is very much the one to be we're going to completely disagree on this race i absolutely despise are especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins, next week I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. 
Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You know the show. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Finney's Living Like It Matters. This, of course, is my tribute to my friends, Dave Dorson, Andre Waters, and, of course, Mike Webster, and most recently, Junior Seau, all members of the fraternity of football, and, and they're gone, and we will never, ever forget them. So this show is, is, is always a tribute because I want to bring some insightful information. And I want you to know, as, as a former athlete, I'm 53 years old. I started playing football. Well, I didn't play Pop Warner uh, because we didn't have the transportation to get me there. That's the honest truth. Uh, but I did play in junior high. And I do, I believe this from the core of my heart, that I have an obligation that as long as I'm here and I have a platform, that I need to do whatever I can to make life better for an athlete on the rise. And so I'm here to use this platform today. Uh, so that Dr. Grossinger and today also joining us is going to be Steve Alec. And Steve is a director of communication for USA football. They have a strong relationship with the national football league and some colleges and university NC2As. So I wanted Steve to come on because Steve certainly, and you are there. Am I right, Steve? I'm here, Ray. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us today because listen, one thing for sure that I think, uh, should be, uh, man, uh, almost like a sign of, we talked about death, and we're going to talk about death in this show today. Uh, you know, death to pro football means death to little league football, to Pop Warner football, and that, that was my dream when I was a kid. So if they're trying to make it safer in the National Football League, it has to start at the younger level. I've always believed in early intervention in all aspects of life. So if you could share with us a little bit about what you do there, Steve, and what you guys are trying to do, because if you're a director of communication, you've got to be trying to feed some information that will help the parents to understand that there's a lot of good with your kids being involved in some extracurricular activity, and particularly football. So share some of the information about your mission statement and what you guys are trying to do and how you guys are trying to save this game of football. Yeah, thank you very much, Ray, and you're exactly right, and I appreciate your passion uh, for the sport on all levels. Uh, USA Football is the official youth football development partner of the NFL and all 32 teams. Uh, we also hold that responsibility with the Atlantic Coast Conference of the NCAA and work with a number of college conferences. Uh, in fact, uh, Jim Delaney of the Big Ten is on our board of directors, as well as some others. Um, Folks like Merrill Hodge, Desmond Howard, and uh, and other stakeholders in the game. I, I want to point out that you know, this isn't uh, just a uh, a focus that we've that we had last week. Ray USA Football has worked with uh, the CDC on concussion awareness and education within youth youth football since 2007. Uh, in fact, we were the first national governing body of any sport work with the CDC to, to educate players uh, on concussion signs and, and symptoms, as well as coaches and parents. And 
you may have seen, especially this past season, uh, a program called Heads Up Football that USA Football operates. And we can thank uh, the NFL for helping us get the word out about this. And Heads Up Football largely rests on, on these four pillars. We're talking about uh, better tackling techniques, what we call Heads Up Tackling. And, Ray, if you played as a kid, I know you started in junior high, you know, the fundamental tackling is to have your head up, and, to, and that limits incidental contact. So heads-up tackling is one. Concussion education at all levels of the game. Um, and I've coached youth sports now for three years, and there is no excuse. I don't care what, what sport you're, you're coaching. There's no excuse not to be aware of concussion signs and symptoms. The, the information is out there, and it's uniform, and I have to credit uh, the CDC for, for enabling uh, all people to reach this information for free on, from their website and, and various messaging programs. So you have concussion education, safer tackling, coaching education. And, you know, right like you, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. I played youth football in the 1980s, and I had great coaches. But, um, you know, I'm sure they didn't take a standardized, a nationally certified coaching education course. Well, you know what? Things change, and that's part of football's legacy. We know that, that the game does not stand still. It continually evolves. It's always getting better. And, you know, if it, if it takes a, a comprehensive uh, two-hour course that covers the X's and O's, positive coaching philosophies, and concussion education, as well as hydration information and how to properly fit equipment, then we need that for our kids. They deserve that. Uh, and certainly with football, uh, being, uh, apparently it seems you know, under the microscope more than other sports, uh, it's certainly warranted. But we have to put our kids first. That is priority one. And lastly, I want to note, so we have tackling, concussion education, coaching education, and proper equipment fitting. Yeah, yeah helmets and shoulder pads, those are important. I would say you know, playing the game with the right fundamentals is even more important. But, but once you have that equipment on you, it has to be able to, it has to fit properly or else uh, it can be a, a, a deterrent to your safety. So to get the maximum protection out of the equipment that a, that a youngster wears, we, we need uh, proper equipment fitting. Um, we have actually on USAFootball.com information on all these topics, including a, a video uh, that we filmed with, with a partner, uh, Riddell, uh, on how to properly fit a, a helmet and shoulder pads. But I have to note, you know, is this information is not proprietary for any one brand. It's for whatever helmet you're wearing, uh, the information you, you'll see there is uh, is appropriate and, and works. So this is all heads of football, and already, Ray, we've got more than 100 leagues signed up to take part in this program in 2013. So uh, and it's really based on coaching, education, and having men and women prepared to teach this game the right way to our kids. Well, Steve, I certainly appreciate and want to compliment all the work that you've done. And, and as you did mention, and, and again, not to, to beat up on you or your organization, but uh, these things that USA Football have implemented uh, in terms of trying to assist in some solutions of safety uh, were implemented in 2007. And, and, man, I had been out of the league by 2007. So I, I compliment you guys for being so diligent and trying to uh, do the best you can to help make this game safer. Uh, we've got Dr. Bruce Grossinger, who is a concussion specialist, uh, and he's the go-to guy for us here. Let me ask you something, Steve, as it relates to the medical field. 
Uh, do you think you guys at, at all levels of football, you start at the very, uh, the youngest level and you go throughout NC2As. Do you think the proper medical uh, professional should be on every football field? Because I'm not sure other than a trainer and to what degree of education that trainer has and what skill that trainer has, that that person is really qualified to deal with some of the things we're dealing with now. We're aware of what's happening on the football field in terms of injuries, particularly to the head with some of these kids. Uh, are you advocating to have a, a person like a Dr. Grossinger? And then I'm going to ask Dr. Grossinger, after you answer your question, what does he feel about somebody at his level being on location of, of every football game? Well, Ray, it would be ideal to have that situation. You know, the, 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 the reality is that, that that is very difficult in youth sports or even scholastic sports, which puts all the more emphasis and, and places greater importance in our minds to inform coaches and parents and also players of signs and symptoms of concussion. And basically what it comes down to is when in doubt, sit them out. Get someone out of the game and eliminate the possibility for a second impact syndrome. You want to remove that player from play, even if concussion is suspected. Get him or her off the field and they don't return and they go to see a doctor who can appropriately um, uh you look at them and then see whether or not there there has been a concussion sustained, and if so, then the, the doctor makes the treatment plan. We, we want, when in doubt, sit them out. Uh, Dr. Grossinger, uh, I'm, I happen to be aware of a gentleman by the name of Adam Terrafarlo. Uh, was a defensive back for Penn State University, played in a football game at, at Ohio State University, injured his neck, again, neck, head, brain trauma. Uh, I believe because of the distance of the university hospital and the medical profession that was on there, some people have said those things taken in consideration perhaps maybe saved his life. I don't know how many lives have been lost of very young people on a football field because the proper medical uh, professional was not there in attendance as part of the staff. Money is not the answer to this. We don't want to hear about the cost. And not that Alex said that. Steve did not say that. I, I'm just saying that. But in your professional opinion, can that happen? Are there enough professionals available and resources that we could have that type of professional that could possibly save? If we save one life, I'm happy. Is there enough of, of you out there to facilitate the need to have professionals on the football field? Or maybe it doesn't have to be to the degree of your profession, but something comparable. Yeah. Um, th there are so many, you know, I, I understand and respect what Steve is saying, and I, I agree that logistically you can't have a, a board-certified neurologist at virtually at every level of every sport, but I think um, you, you could have a doctor in most cases. Certainly in the NFL, they could, have a, they could mandate a neurologist on the sideline, and they, they haven't. Uh, they, they have an independent neurologist that's part of the team, to, it, along the way of getting somebody to return to play, a neurologist is in there. So I don't think there's an excuse for not mandating a neurologist. And traditionally, orthopedic surgeons who are bone doctors have been given the, uh, probably because they're, I don't know, a more aggressive field, the, the neurologists who are kind of pontificators are, are often treating brain injuries uh, because they're, 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 they're put under the rubric of sports doctors when, when they should be bone doctors. But that's my own caveat. But I think trainers, I mean, one thing Steve is talking about is 
athletic trainers who are really well-versed in all of the teaching. Uh, I think that's very important at minimum, and they should recognize the signs because if you just rely on the coaches who are busy coaching the game or the parents, it's just not enough. So at minimum, you need highly, uh, highly learned trainers. If, if doctors of any sort, even primary physicians are available, that's better because, frankly, we, we have a lot of training. And at, at the collegiate in professional levels, I don't think there's an excuse not to have a neurologist on hand to at least help out with the triaging of these kind of brain injuries. Okay, guys, listen, the show is going so fast, and I'm going to have to apologize, but these two experts that I just had on the field, and when I say Steve is an expert, he's certainly an expert in terms of working with these young men, and sometimes young women that are now playing football, and I appreciate the fact that you are doing everything you possibly can, Steve, in your organization to try to make this a safer game and to save this game that we know as football. I was born and raised in Canton, Ohio. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is on my high school campus, and I want to save football. And so I appreciate everything you've done. Dr. Grossinger, thank you as well. Uh, I'm sure Dave is, is happy that you were on the show today, as he was, uh, of course, the very first time uh, that you were with me when we did a tribute to uh, our lost friend, uh, Dave Dorson. So uh, I think what I'm going to do now, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to come back. And, you know, things just don't happen fast enough for players. Players are just accustomed to things happening real fast. They don't always happen real fast, guys, particularly if you don't know what you're doing. You need to be prepared. You got to take care of things. You got to handle your business. Transition is not an easy thing. We got two men on the other side, Guy Troop from Troop 21 and Rich Killian. And he, of course, is the American businessman is going to come back on the other side of the break. And we're going to talk about player transition. Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. This is my tribute uh, to, of course, uh, some friends that have gone on to heaven. Uh, way too soon, gone, but never forgotten. Dave Dorison, Andre Waters, Mike Webster, and Junior Seau. You know, I have to be honest about this aspect of the show, of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to say this, that, you know, I think sometimes people just, they just assume that professional athletes, because you're a pro football player, 
you're, pre- you're, you're prepared for all aspects of your life, and that's not necessarily true. We, we need true professionals to assist and consult with us to get us prepared for life after football. The transition is just something that it could be frustrating for some players. You know, things happen on the football field that, you know, and on the basketball court too, there's instant gratification. You know what you, you get an interception, you make a tackle, you recover a fumble, you throw a touchdown, you know, things happen right away. You line up for a play instantly. You've had success or failure. And then if it didn't go your way, you get a chance to correct that right away. Things don't happen like that in real life. And sometimes players aren't prepared to know exactly what that president, that CEO, that human resource individual is going to be looking for. So they may enter into the business world a little bit unprepared, but they have to handle their business in order for them to enjoy life the way they have previously to their career being over. So that time happens to players. I, I got Guy Troop with me who's from Troop 21. Uh, he's been extremely, probably there's not a better advocate for players out there that I've met in the, the years that I've been involved with the National Football League, and that's 30-plus years. And so I want to uh, certainly thank him. He is, of course, the gentleman who's been producing and owning and directing and everything else you want to say as it relates to the player networking event, uh, which is going to be at the Super Bowl again, the 13th annual player networking event. And we got Rich Killian, who is uh, the owner of a number of companies, the American businessman uh, in particular is the one that I uh, recognize and remember. And, and Rich has been, uh, he came on last year uh, as a sponsor and participated. But I wanted these two guys Rich, I'm going to start off with you. Guy, as, as an individual who, although did not play in the National Football League, was a college athlete, understood transition. The game ends for everybody. If, you want, if you're ready or not, it does end. Handled things extremely well for himself, but he has been there to assist players for years and continues to be there. You're going to join him as we get go down to the Super Bowl Rich, you're an executive. You own companies. You've sold companies. You've partnered. You've done joint ventures. You've done all those things. Give Guy, we're going to play a little role here. You know, you approach Guy as an athlete that's, that's looking for some opportunities, or you tell him the opportunities you have. Guy's probably got some questions because he's never been in this situation before. So going down, Rich, let's act like you've never been there before. Uh, what expectations might you expect to see or be looking for when you walk into an, a, a, an environment where you think there are potential owners of businesses, uh, potential employees, potential you know, interns? Uh, what, what might you be looking for to make them qualified for that because they don't know about that? Well, as far as – and thanks again for having me on the show, Ray. Uh, but, again, as, as far as an athlete making that transition, it's, you know, it's a completely different mindset and then a strategy that you need to enter that workplace. I mean, the bottom line is, is this. You know, we've been playing all our lives sports. You know, we've, we've been taking direction from our coaches, our teammates. You know, we've been hustling on the field. We know what it's like to be disciplined, okay? Now, when you go into the, into the business world, there's two things. One, are you going to get a job, you know, first of all? Are you going as an employee somewhere, or are you looking to start your own business? I mean, I think we can all agree that now is one of the best times to start a business out there with the economy the way it is because there's a lot of opportunity out there and a lot of unemployment. So 
A, you can get the you know employees out there at a reasonable price that are willing to work because they might be out of a job. And the other side of the deal is, is if you're an owner, what a great time to start your own company uh, because, again, of all the opportunity out there, we can go into that. I know we don't have much time. But the bottom line is you've got to have your mindset prepared for what it is you want to do and then have, a, have the right strategy on how to go about it. It's no different than a playbook. I mean, coaches calling plays, you, you already know the drills because you've done it through practice, but, you know, What's your mindset? Your mindset is, hey, well, this is a new set of rules out there, a new, a new playbook, if you will, in the business world. You have to be prepared for that. It's not like you're going uh, switching teams. You're switching sports here, okay? And that's, that's a whole new mindset, a whole new set of opportunities, a whole new system you've got to learn, and then go out there and execute it. So, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. It's really getting your mind in the, into the new game, if you will, and then that strategy to, you know, how you're going to, you know, no pun intended, but tackle, tackle the obstacles that come in front of you in the business arena. And, Guy, what would you say, speaking from that athlete's perspective and him walking into unfamiliar territory, might he go in this prepared or unprepared so that just the listening audience would understand what the challenge is? Well, I think it really just depends upon the uh, the individual and and what uh, they valued when they entered the game as early as high school. Uh, and I think foundationally, if an athlete was rooted in getting the most out of his academic experiences in in middle, junior, junior high, high school, and college, then Probably going to be more prepared than than the athlete that put all his eggs in one bucket. But both still will suffer from the separation anxiety that exists when you leave the locker room and the game and the identity crisis. Uh, and really, it's just which which athlete is is of the two uh, profiles is more prepared to jump back in and and and, and work work their way to competence and then confidence. And, Guy, let me ask you a question. You know, you know, as I set that up about players, you know, it's like a microwave generation. Players in particular have been very successful on the football field, and they expect things to happen fast. Do you see a level of frustration with players trying to make that transition because it's not a quick one? Repeat that question for me, Ray. That, that are play, do you find that players, you know, who are so successful on the football field – and and things happen so fast for them that th- their success is, is is accelerated, almost like a microwave, if you will. But when they transition out of the game, it may take them a little longer, and and there's some frustration that that sets in. Is that common amongst a lot of players? Not to say that these who have taken their lives that that was is what happened with them, but I'm sure there were some frustrating moments and maybe some depressed moments where perhaps maybe some of their transitional issues might have got the best of them. Yeah, I think I think the the financial cushion that today's professional athlete lives with, um, and and when I say financial cushion, you get seventeen checks a week, and whenever it's over in January or February, and you'll you'll never you know wear a, a uniform, you believe you're going to get seventeen more checks the following fall. So the financial pressures of uh, that that start in September when that check is not coming really causes some anxiety. But 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 be, before that pressure is there, I think I think most athletes are confident that they'll be picked up, and and then the cycle of um, 
the stress cycle starts because the, the, the game has passed them by and the new world of work, whether that's entrepreneurship, running your own charity, or, or traditional employment, uh, you just don't know how to dive in. You don't know how to get to training camp and, and get a shot. And so the, in my mind, the programs that the league uh, has in place, the programs that colleges and universities have in place are, are critical, uh, but utilization of those programs is probably even more critical. If I can ask you, Rich, we got about 15 seconds here. Uh, preparation, those coming looking for opportunities, how should they prepare themselves? What What is two, three, four, five things that these young men coming into a new locker room, if you will, a locker room of, you know, employment outside of football, how should they be prepared? Give us two, three, four, five things every guy should show up with and, and be prepared to do. Well, well, again, it comes back to the mindset, knowing the game. I mean, you, where, where are you going with this? Where are you going to the, you know, what game are you playing now that, that particular game you've been used to is over and doing your homework, you know, and again, it comes back to, can we all just run on a football field and, and do what we want? We got to have some direction in coaches. You know, we got to have coordinators, same thing in the business world. I mean, you have to have some type of coaching, you know, if you're going to that employment side, great. Your boss is your coach. If you're trying to do your own, you run your own show or your own charity, you got to be your own boss. You need some coaching there, and and that's really what it comes out to. So I think the point is, get your education, do your homework, have the right mindset, and get the game plan down for what it is you want to do. Hey, Guy, and I'm going to give you this this last opportunity in terms of uh, the player networking event is going to be in New Orleans this year. Uh, How important is it for the right players to come there, as as Rich said, with the right mindset and, and anticipating that the right opportunity might be there for him instead of them thinking I should not come I should not go because my mind's not right and definitely the right people won't be there for them well you know you know the old cliche you never get a second chance to make a first impression I think the athlete that comes prepared uh, will help the the overall athletic community and change the perception of of athletes skill set desire to work after their careers the need to work after their career. So it's important for uh, at, at the player networking event for us to have business athletes who uh, have transitioned well and who come with the seriousness uh, and they, they move away from this appearance fee mentality or this, this social mentality. You know, it's a professional environment. Business networking is taking place. Uh, a legitimate business professional. Hey, guy, I hate to cut you off, but they're telling me we got to go. I apologize for that. It just wasn't enough time. You've been listening to Rail and Sports on the Voice America Network. If you get a chance, any player out there, be sure to stop in at the Sheraton to Player Networking event. They've gone. They're gone, but they're never forgotten. Andre Waters, Mike Webster, Dave Dorson, and, of course, Junior Arceo. God bless you in heaven. I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. Thank you for spending this hour with Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. We hope that you have enjoyed today's conversation. For more information and to write Ray, visit www.rayellissports.com. And be sure to join us next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network.